Welcome to The Plastic Surgeon and I. Overseas travel has always been popular among Australians, but these days many are now combining an overseas holiday with plastic surgery, with some devastating results. Cosmetic tourism is becoming increasingly popular for Australians who see it as a cheaper alternative to surgery back home. But the risks are much higher and could result in serious long-term complications performed by people who may not have the same rigorous training and qualifications as surgeons in Australia. That's according to plastic and reconstructive surgeon Dr Kim Taylor. She's seen the consequences of surgery gone wrong among some who choose to head overseas for cosmetic surgery. I begin by asking Dr Taylor what kinds of procedures are people looking to get overseas? The type of things that we tend to hear about from a cosmetic surgery point of view are breast surgery, things like abdominoplasty. Um, But I'm also aware of people going for facelifts, nose jobs, injectables. That's kind of probably not so sustainable because those are things that need, they're not one-off purchases. They tend to be needing top-ups, but also dental types of procedures. So having veneers or caps and crowns. And I think almost any operation that's elective surgery in Australia is probably performed as a tourism type of thing. So even knee replacements, I have heard of cardiac type of surgery. So obviously non-urgent type of things, but things that need to be done where there's either long waiting lists or perceived higher costs here in Australia. Well, on the cosmetic side of things, how popular has it become for Australians and where do they go? It's kind of hard for us to know as like I'm a plastic surgeon here in Melbourne and I think it's impossible for anyone to know because there's so many companies that are set up either in Australia or in overseas countries that are promoting to people in Australia. I guess what we see is where as someone that lives in Australia, I guess you don't entirely know what you're buying into if you're going to another country. So you don't know what the standards of training, the standards of the hospital are. And we all know, I guess, looking at hotels and other types of things that you research online, that what you get is not always what you see online. So beautiful, shiny hospital online may not be the same when you get there. Or conversely, it may be, you know, very, very, very impressive. Well, if it's for things that you're ordering in the mail, you could probably put up with it not being what it's advertised. But for something like surgery, you'd want it to be pretty um, spot on. But anecdotally, though, are people going to Thailand? What is that sort of the place that people seem to go? Probably, I'm going to say around eight to 10 years ago, maybe it was really, really popular. The patients were going to Thailand and Bali was the other place that we hear about in Australia because they're kind of you know, not so far to travel, similar sort of time zones, can get cheapish flights to those places. And then there was a company set up in Sydney that was basically competing for the same sort of market. So a very, very low price breast augmentation largely. 
And so a lot of those patients that were really, really price fixated that they thought, you know, that all they wanted was the cheapest option, I guess, a lot of those did tend to have surgery stay in Australia. And so I think that overseas cosmetic tourism dropped off a little bit. And then, of course, COVID happened and so no one could travel anywhere. They couldn't get surgery, certainly couldn't get surgery here in Victoria either. So there became a huge backlog of all types of elective surgery throughout Australia, but probably more so in Victoria and to some extent in New South Wales as well, whereas the other states I think had a lot less restrictions. So I suspect that once the borders have opened that and people have been sitting at home kind of contemplating what they're going to spend their money on because they haven't been able to travel or do a whole lot over the last few years that I suspect kind of towards the end of last year and this year that there's probably been a massive surge of people heading overseas for surgery. I understand Turkey is becoming a popular place these days. Yeah, well, um, there was a what I thought an absolutely terrible article in one of the newspapers a couple of weekends ago, which really read like an advertorial, I thought, rather than actual journalism. And it was really just promoting how fantastic it was for these patients to be having surgery in in Turkey was the country that was mentioned. And then the last paragraph was kind of, oh, you know, be cautious, do your research, check into the qualifications. And it's impossible, I think, for an Australian patient to be able to check on standards and qualifications of a Turkish surgeon. And I actually have a patient who I had done a procedure on and she has Turkish background and she actually went overseas and had arm and tummy surgery in Turkey and has come back to see me because she's got scarring issues. So this is a lot of the issue with people heading overseas for surgery, like they have really, really minimal follow-up with their surgeon. And even if they do have online follow-up or email follow-up, they can't actually get anything done because without another trip overseas. Other places I've heard of quite recently – Dominican Republic and Colombia. So those are long way away to travel. And I kind of think one of the lines that I say a lot is surgery is not a holiday. Like surgery is surgery. Like it's a big thing. Even if you think it's a minor procedure, there's the misconception that either having a breast augmentation or liposuction, for example, are just sort of minor procedures. They're still major surgery, anaesthetic is required. There's a lot of things that can potentially go wrong in the short, medium and long term. And any patient that I operate on, I would see them a minimum of four times after their surgery and for a minimum of four months. There's just no capacity to do that when you're traveling. I don't know, how long does it take to get to either Turkey or Central America? Almost 24 hours of travel. Well, that's it. Well, what, what is it about these places? Is it the price? Is that the main attraction that you can get these things done much cheaper than in Australia? So what, what are these prices and how does it compare to Australia? I actually haven't looked that up, but I'm pretty sure a simple Google search could probably find that for you. But what's the value on your that you place on your health? But I think the bottom line is, is the price. I guess one other 
is a procedure that's done very uncommonly in Australia, which is a BBL or Brazilian butt lift. And that is the most risky, highest complication rate operation that any plastic surgeons do worldwide. So that's why there's very, very few surgeons in Australia that would be doing that procedure. And so there has been a huge trend to have that done, but that would probably be the only other real reason why people would be heading overseas because they they can't so much access that here. <laughs> and for good reason though. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, whether it's the Brazilian butt lift or breast augmentation or dental veneers or whatever, how does someone determine whether their surgeon is qualified or fully qualified to do it? If if they do claim that they're qualified, what does that mean though? Is there a way to check? And are those qualifications on par with the qualifications we'd expect here in Australia? Yeah, I have I have no idea. And and clearly they're not going to be on par with Australian qualifications because we know that surgeons that have qualifications in other countries that move to Australia generally have to, even if they're a fully qualified plastic surgeon in their original country, they generally have to retrain and frequently from scratch here in this country. And so you don't know what you're comparing and you can't, uh, for example, shop around. So I, I, I see patients that come and see me and, and like quite often will say, look, you know, I'm having consultation with you and two other plastic surgeons. And if you're going to Thailand, the doctor sees them on the day of the procedure. My understanding is that patients send photos either via email or securely, I guess. And then it's sort of decided before they arrive in the country what operation they're having. And then they meet the surgeon on the day. So, you know, what if things aren't exactly the same? What if you don't actually gel with a surgeon? Like, You know, we don't all get on with each other. And I certainly don't operate on 100% of people that walk in the door that either want to have an operation with me sometimes because of suitability, sometimes because of personality, like, you know, they don't like me. I don't, I don't think they're the right, a right fit. And so if you've already committed all your money, (laughs) flown over there, it's it's pretty unlikely that anyone's going to say, hang on, this doesn't feel right. It's like, well, I'm here now and we might as well carry on. When it comes to um, post-operative care, what should a patient expect to receive, at least in Australia, and perhaps they're not getting that overseas? You know, that's a really great question and something that I think we'd massively pride ourselves on. So, for example, I've done two operations today. One of the patients was actually going home and one staying in hospital overnight. So I'll go to the hospital and see her tomorrow morning. The other patient that went home today will get a phone call from my room's nurse tomorrow, check on how she's going. And the other one that's staying overnight will get a phone call the day after. They have my mobile number. So if they've got any issues after hours, they can call me. They've got free reign of contact with the staff in the office and office hours. I then do a in-person follow-up at one week and two weeks. And then usually at six weeks would be the routine. Um, We also offer LED, so scar treatment at around the three to four week mark. And if there's any concerns at, you know, three days, and even if they've got an appointment at seven days, we can get them in, I can see them. 
same sort of thing. Like if someone has an issue that they are concerned and they want to be reviewed at three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, then I see them in the office. And if I'm not available, then my business partner, who's a plastic surgeon as well, would see them. So, yeah, like it's not just about having an operation. It's about everything else that follows on from that too. Mm. And obviously patients that are going overseas for these um, procedures, they're not sticking around for weeks, two, three, four, five weeks, are they? So they're not really um, in a position to get the care that they should get. Yeah, I can't imagine. I I would imagine they're at most probably one week and even for, you know, fairly major procedures that to them be travelling long distance, the risks of DVT, Travelling after having had surgery is quite quite considerable. Have you had to, what would you say, treat patients that have done, had procedures overseas and maybe complications that have occurred, they've come to you to sort things out? Yeah, absolutely. And I think every single plastic surgeon in Australia would have many instances where they've been involved in looking after people either in the short term or the long term. I don't work at a public hospital anymore, but certainly in the past when I have and speaking with some of the trainee doctors or doctors that work in the public system, sometimes patients actually almost, they're like, okay, well, I've got to, I'm not very well and I've got to fly back home to Australia. I can't afford to change my flights. And it actually unbelievably unwell on the plane and they essentially get off at the airport and there are times where they've been ambulanced straight to a public hospital in Australia with wound infections, wound breakdowns, necrosis, significant complications. And that's the short-term serious side of things. Where And then they end up having had a cosmetic operation for a cosmetic or, a, or even a valid medical reason and end up having paid a lot of money but then end up in the public system where they're you know using the public resources because they don't they've used up all their money for this one possibility that so they, they can't be treated through the private system and with significant complications sometimes ending up having to have skin grafts and you know multiple revisions down the track that's really serious early on kind of problems and then there's one that I did mention earlier where the operation just hasn't been done fantastically. So they've still got some loose skin. They've got some asymmetries. They've got some scarring issues. And by all means, I have patients with those same sort of issues as well, but I see them enough times and arrange reviews and revisions as required because that's the holistic care. If someone is, you know, there any issues, whether they're minor or major, then I have the ability to continue to care for them and to, touch up and fix any of those things, either small things here in the office or larger procedures, taking them back to the operating room, which is pretty uncommon. But, yeah, none of that is going to be possible for patients that have had surgery overseas, with the original surgeon anyway. Right. So the, the intention of um, some some people wanting a cheaper cosmetic surgery, it might end up costing them a lot more had they done it at home anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And another crazy story that, and this is sort of probably a third hand story, but I think from a reputable source that a surgeon was revising a patient that had had implants placed overseas. 
And when they remove them, what we have is, so there's the genuine breast implant where it's a device that's not permanent, but it's used. But what we do on the operating table is there's a one called a sizer, which is a temporary, and it's got big black writing all over it, like not for implantation. And we use it just to check sizing and we're doing the surgery and then it gets removed and chucked in the bin and you put the the proper implant in and a patient actually had one of those devices in and different size implants and yeah they had absolutely no idea that they didn't have even a reputable implant and that's a foreign body in your body and they come back from overseas they don't have any paperwork or if they do it's not not in English and without any records of exactly what kind of devices they've got implanted into their body. So if we are trying to do a revision, it's very difficult because you actually don't know what you're starting with. Wow. And if they just left that fake implant in there, what would happen over the years? Well, it's going to cause – it's not going to last. So it's not – they're not designed to stay in. So it would break down a lot quicker and and that's why that patient was having – surgery you know fairly early on they're they're very very unlikely to last years so again they're going to be having to pay for more surgery to fix the problems that were caused for the cut price surgery goodness gracious now are plastic surgeons in australia qualified plastic surgeons are they um, restricted in the way they advertise their services and if that is the case are they competing with say you know international cosmetic surgeons from these places we've been talking about and they're not seeing advertising on social media from proper qualified Australian plastic surgeons, but they're being bombarded by aggressive advertising. Is that something that's happening? Yeah, absolutely. And um, interesting timing to be bringing that up because ARPRA, which is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, is that been revising all the restrictions in Australia and they just were released recently and significantly more restrictions for us here. Whereas you're absolutely right, there's no restrictions on what overseas people can post and can have testimonials. We're not allowed to put patient testimonials. There's a lot of restriction on before and after photographs that we use so do your research both here and overseas. Well, final question, Kim. If someone listening to this is thinking about going overseas for surgery, as a plastic surgeon, what's your advice? Don't do it. That's that's so easy. <laughs> I honestly think there's so many risks and so much that you can't possibly know adequately about beforehand you know, go and see a few people in your own city or state that are properly qualified plastic surgeons. And it may surprise you as to what advice you get. And the overall cost may not ultimately be a whole lot different. That was Dr. Kim Taylor. Next episode, we highlight the accessibility of surgeons for those living in the bush. Hopefully, with access improving in regional areas, the ability to Uh, obtain the best service available to you is still available. That's Dr Rob Toma, a plastic surgeon in the regional centre of Warrnambool, Victoria, next episode. The Plastic Surgeon and I is proudly brought to you by ASPS, 
the Australian Society of Plastic Surgeons. For more information, please visit plasticsurgery.org.au. Until next time, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening.